All right, if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 John chapter 4. We're looking at uh, core number 4. Um, while you're turning there, let me go ahead and call attention in your copy of the first edition. You should have gotten an envelope that looks like this. Uh, one of the great ministries that we uh, partner with as a church is called the Gideons. And uh, some of y'all are Gideons. Are there any Gideons in the house today? Or are they all come at 930? I mean, Gideons? If you're a Gideon, stand up hither. Stand up. We need Gideons to stand. There they are, Gideons all around. Woo! All right. We are so thrilled to have uh, uh, these, uh, uh, these Gideons. Essentially, Gideons is a ministry that takes uh, Bibles and places them uh, in the hands of individuals who uh, need a copy of God's Word. And if you have been in a hotel room and you open the drawer, Gideon Bible is there. Uh, I remember growing up as a young person, and Gideons would actually bring Bibles into the classroom, and uh, uh, they don't do that kind of stuff anymore, not because they wouldn't, it's just they're not allowed. Uh, but we have a lot of different ways in which we can get Bibles into the hands of individuals, and uh, one of those ways that helps us do that is for you and for me uh, to take Mother's Day as an opportunity to, to uh, purchase certain Bibles uh, in honor of our Mothers, And uh, this uh, gives the resources that the Gideons need to place Bibles in different places uh, around uh, the country and around the world. And so I just want to encourage you uh, to think about this. Mother's Day, we'll, uh, we'll have uh, this, uh, this envelope and we'll kind of collect on Mother's Day for sure. But if you're ready to do that, go ahead and do that. And if you have any questions, you can see one of the Gideons uh, that uh, stood a few moments ago. Uh, so, uh, in first John chapter four, we begin this, uh, we continue this journey of looking at core. Now we're looking at core values. Uh, and if you do not have, uh, a, uh, note sheet, would you raise your hand? We want to get note sheets to everybody. There's one, there's one, there's one, there's one, there's one. Let's get notes and note sheets, note sheets. Uh, thanks Dave down here. And, uh, oh yeah, you guys are just rolling. There we go. There. Great, 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 great. Just keep your hands up and let me talk while hey, y'all can lift your hand while I'm talking. And listen while I'm talking, yes? No? Okay, I'll wait then. No. All right, so uh, we began looking at, and what core is, we're looking at Christ's vision for our church. Uh, and for the church in general, but for our church specifically. See, uh, when we're looking at the vision of the church, what, what kind of church are we going to be in five years or 10 years or 20 years or 200 years, what kind of church are we going to be? Uh, that vision for the church that we're going to be tomorrow has to flow and run along the track of Christ's vision for the church. Um, look, I'm not that creative. I'm not that, I'm not that innovative. I want to be safe when it comes to the bride of Christ. And the safest place we can be as the bride of Christ is right where Jesus wants us, okay? And so when Jesus says this is the church that he wants, that's the church that we're going to become, all right? So as we look at First Baptist Church Norfolk uh, down the road and into the future, we want to run along the track of what Jesus has as his vision for the church. So we're looking at Christ's vision for the church, and, and we began the first week in John chapter 17, verses 1 through 4 or 5. Uh, and core, core number one is we exist for, we ex oh my goodness, boy, y'all are good. We exist to glorify God, all right? So that's core number one. 
came from John chapter 17, where Jesus said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son, that your son might also glorify you, as you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given to him. And this is eternal life, that they might know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have finished the work you've I've glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work that you've given me to do. So Jesus said, Jesus said, God, I'm here to bring you glory. Now, as followers of Christ, as the bride of Christ, and as the body of Christ, guess what? We exist to bring God glory. We see that in John 17, 10. Jesus said, these are my followers, and I am glorified in them. So it is our purpose. It is our, it is our supreme ambition to bring God glory. All right, so, so we exist to glorify God. Secondly, the second core value we came from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 9 through 9 and 10, and that is our church finds her greatest pleasure in God's pleasure. Say it a different way. We live to make God smile, okay? So we live to make God smile. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9 and 10, uh, the apostle Paul said, therefore we make it our aim whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. For we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, give an answer for the things we've done in the body, whether good or bad. So Paul is saying, here's here's the goal of ministry. This is the aim of of everything that we're doing. It is to be well-pleasing to God. To make him smile. Now, when we look at our church's greatest pleasure is God's pleasure, what we're saying is the decision-making matrix of our church is not what pleases the most people in the room. The decision-making matrix of the church is what pleases God. Our goal is not your pleasure, nor is it my pleasure, It's God's pleasure. So when we have to decide things in the church, our decision-making matrix has to be what brings God pleasure. Now, this this irritated some of y'all. It did. It it did. It irritated some of you. I'm sorry it irritates you. And, And I understand why, because you were perhaps raised in this idea that the church is all about democracy, and so the whoever has the greatest vote wins. But that's not church. That's not the biblical form of church. It's not whoever has the... Well, oh, unless you look at it this way. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have the greatest vote. Amen. Right? So we, we have to be sure... That, look, I can please you all day long and be in absolute, utter rebellion against God. You'll be happy, but God's not. So where does that leave the church? In a very bad place. All right, so, so we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. 2 Corinthians 5, 9, and 10. So core value number two, uh, our greatest pleasure is God's pleasure. Then last week we looked at core number three, which is our church will pay the price to advance the gospel. And we looked at this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. Uh, where Paul wrote, uh, um, for we judge thusly that if one died for all, then all have died. And, and Jesus died for all so that we who live should live no longer for ourselves, but for him who died for us 
and rose again. So Paul's saying, hey, listen, we, we have this, this, this way of doing life that is supremely affected by how Jesus died for us. We don't live for ourselves, but we live for him. And as he gave his life, he died so that you and I might be rescued as he, as, as he came preaching the gospel and as he lived his life for the gospel and as he died to bring the gospel to sinners like you and me. As Jesus paid the price to advance the gospel, so we, his bride and his body, we're going to pay the price to advance the gospel. As we looked at that, we, we, we saw that there is, a, uh, there is a pathway for us to advance the gospel and one of those is multiplication, and that's part of our church planting strategy. It's part of our, our different uh, 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 satellites and different services and worship gatherings that we have. It's, it's a, a, a vision of, of multiplying different preaching points all the way up and down uh, the Norfolk Tide and, and other places around Hampton Roads and even around the world. It's, it, it, it's multiplying. It, it's what we have in our life groups when we have life groups on campus, but also when we have life groups uh, off campus, in your homes. That's, that's multiplying. We want to multiply because we know the majority of people who need the gospel, they're not in the room today. So we need to go where they are. Um, uh, another way that we advance the gospel is by sharing the gospel with others. So, so you and I are going to pick up the mantle. We're going to embrace this calling to share the gospel with other people. And we provide equipping moments for that to help you uh, uh, have the tools you need to share uh, Jesus. And then there was a third element, and this was the easiest. This is entry level advancing the gospel. That's inviting people to church. And, and, and we, all of us can invite someone to church. Um, in fact, we, we're, we're going to have this 50 30, 50 30, 50 30. You've seen those posters around. Uh, in, uh, starting May the 1st, we're going to take 30 days and we're going to invite 50,000 people to join us for church. Whether in a life group or or uh, for worship, 50,000 people. And, and what that amounts to is if every person who gathers with us on a weekend, if all of you all commit to invite one person a day for 30 days to come to this church, then we'll hit 50,000. Now, why are we doing this? Well, it's real simple. Uh, we need to get in the habit of advancing the gospel and paying the price to advance the gospel. It's a discipline. And we want to bring God pleasure. We want to make him smile. We want to be obedient to him. We, we, we want to bring him glory. And so we're going to commit ourselves to do this. And, uh, and so uh, up here are these cards. I want to encourage you to come get these cards. It helps you invite people. I invited a few people. And before your day begins, I encourage you to pray this prayer. Lord God, I pray that you give me an opportunity today to invite someone to church. And pray that every single day uh, so that they might encounter Christ, so that they might experience life change. But pray that every single day, and I, I guarantee you God will give you the opportunity, and you'll have the choice of being obedient or disobedient. It's a great choice to have. All right? So, so this core one, our church exists to glorify God. Core two, uh, our church finds her greatest pleasure in God's pleasure. And core three, our church will pay the price to advance the gospel. Now, here's, here's can I just say this humbly, quickly? Um, some of us are in the room today, and we think that we are so spiritual that we don't need any of this stuff. That, that we're, we're okay the way we're going. We're, we're not paying attention to one thing that God has to say through these messages. And, and can I just say that humbly, you're wrong. You need this. I need this. I mean, I, I, I'm, I need to be reminded that there are things that 
that are of greater priority than other things. God's glory is the greatest priority. That's our supreme ambition. God's pleasure is far more important than my pleasure. Paying the price to advance the gospel, that's what it means to love God. Those three elements, that's loving God. Today, we, we bring it home to a more personal level, and this is our supreme affection. Our supreme affection is about us loving one another. And so here's the big idea. Our church will love others the way Christ has loved us. I want you to turn to the person next to you right now, and I want you to say, do you love others the way Christ has loved you? Right now, turn to the person. Do you love others the way Christ has loved you? I don't want you to say yes or no. Okay, so here's what, here's what John writes, 1 John chapter 4, verses 10 and 11. John writes, in this is love. Now, so he's saying this is what love looks like. This is what love is all about. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And he sent his son Jesus to be the propitiation for our sins or the payment price for our sins. Beloved, if God has loved us in this manner, or if God has so loved us, we also ought to love one another. In these two verses, God gives us the clear picture of what we have to be today, tomorrow, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 200 years from now, as the church of the living Lord Jesus Christ. That is, we must love each other the way Christ has loved us. We must love each other the way Christ has loved us. Now, why do we need to make this a big deal? Why is this important to us? Well, it's important for several reasons. First, it's important because loving others the way Christ has loved us is the DNA of a Christ follower. Some of us give ourselves plenty of excuses why we can be mean jerks to other people. I mean, some of us treat others like dogs in the dirt. And we give ourselves excuses. In fact, we claim to be mature followers of Christ while we're disrespectful and rude to others. And we act like it's okay. It's not okay. John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35. Jesus said, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another even as I have loved you. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, by your love one for another. Let me just ask you, do people know that you're a follower of Christ by your love? Jesus said, this is the DNA of who you are as a follower of Christ. This is it. By your love for another, you're demonstrating that you belong to Jesus. Now, everybody turn to 1 John chapter 3, verse 10. Everybody look at this verse. 1 John chapter 3, verse 10. Just kind of bring it home a little bit. This is a haunting verse. Might underline it. 1 John chapter 3, verse 10. In this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest, unmasked, revealed. 
Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. Now, I want you to, I want you to get the picture here. John is saying that if you don't love others the way Christ has loved you, then you are showing yourself not in Christ's camp, but in somebody else's camp. And we don't want to be in that somebody else's camp. Again, we may give ourselves all kinds of breaks as to why we behave the way we do and treat people the way we treat them. We might say, well, I'm justified. No, no, we're not. If we are not loving others the way Christ has loved us, then we are showing ourselves not to be part of Christ's camp. Whoever does not practice righteousness, John says, is not of God. Nor is he who does not love his brother. Please let that sink home. It's not some minor thing that we need to look at here. This is essential. We know that we are followers of Christ. We show that we are followers of Christ. We demonstrate that we belong to God when we love others the way He has loved us. It's part of our DNA. Not only is it part of our DNA, but it's important because it's a command. This is a command from God. Jesus uh, said in John 13, he said, a new commandment, not suggestion, not optional packaging on the Christian mobile. This is core curriculum. This is command from God. A new commandment, I give you that you love one another, even as I have loved you, you also love one another. You can't take it or leave it. It is a must. 1 John 4, 11. Beloved, if God has loved us in this way, we also ought to love one another. Now, that, that, that term for ought is not optional. It is obligation. It is essential. It carries with it the force of an imperative or a command. Friends, as followers of Christ, remember core, core value number two? Our greatest pleasure is God's pleasure. We live to make God smile. That's core value number two. And we looked at three ingredients that make God smile. What are the three ingredients? Well, first was the salvation of sinners. That's Luke 15, 7, Luke 15, 10. We know that the salvation of sinners makes God smile, brings him pleasure. The second category was the big category. We bring God pleasure. We make him smile. When we do what he says, we obey his commands. And then the third category was what happens when we don't obey his commands. What brings God pleasure is when we are broken over our disobedience. So these three broad categories paint the picture for us of how we bring God pleasure every single day of our life. First, we see the salvation of sinners. Second, we obey God's commands. And third, we're broken over our rebellion against God's commands. Well, here's a command. I, I mean, I, th- this may sound elementary, but maybe if we'd start putting this in practice, things would change for us. This is a command, a new commandment I give you. You love one another, even as I have loved you. You also love one another. 
It's a command. And if we're going to bring God pleasure, then we need to, do, need to love others the way he has loved us. And by the way, stop. Everybody stop. Everybody look this way. Just look this way. Just take a second. Wake up. Here we go. Just take a moment and look this way. And I'll wait for you to look this way. I'm still waiting. Just, just look this way. Look this way. Amazingly, there's only like one person in the room that's not looking this way. We'll have a conference afterwards. Uh, (laughs) If you're not loving people the way Christ has loved you, then today is the day for you and for me to be broken over our rebellion. We... It's not our job to give ourselves excuses as to why we don't have to be obedient to God's Word. It is our task. It is the mandate of Christ upon our lives to repent our sin and to be obedient to Him. There needs to be some brokenness in this room. Oh, God, begin with me. It's a command from God. And then third, it makes much of the gospel. Do you realize that when we love others the way Christ has loved us, we are demonstrating what the gospel looks like? In this is love, okay? Here's what love looks like. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and and he sent Jesus to be the payment price for our sin. So when we love others the way Christ has loved us, we're, we're, we're a conduit through which God's love flows toward them. They begin to see and hear the gospel. Listen, we live in a world of... of, uh, uh, of secluded souls and, and guarded hearts and, and counterfeit conversations, people desperate to know love. And friends, God has designed you and me to be the way they see what love looks like, to see the gospel, to hear the gospel, and to be transformed by the gospel. And when we love others the way Christ has loved us, it makes much of the gospel. Well, what does this love look like anyway? Well, it's important because it's a DNA of, of who we are. It's, it's a command from Christ. It makes much of the gospel. That's why it's important. But what is the definition of it? Well, definition is simply this. Christ's love is selfless sacrifice for the sake of someone else. In this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and he gave his lo- sent his son to be the payment price for our sin. And this is love. Not that somehow we, we had this transaction with God where we uh, earned his love by loving him. No, 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 no. In this is love. Not, not that somehow uh, we were good enough for God's love. No, 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 no. In this is love in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Here's what... Here's what love is. Love is selfless sacrifice. God sent Jesus, and Jesus dies for you and for me. That's what love is, selfless sacrifice. Do you realize that the biggest barrier for us as a church of fulfilling Christ's vision for our church, where we have this supreme affection of loving others the way Christ has loved us, the greatest obstacle is not culture. It's not who's sitting in the White House seat. It's not what the Supreme Court says. 
The biggest obstacle of us is our own selfishness. It's it's we don't like to selflessly sacrifice for the sake of others. And I say we because I'm part of that problem. When I think of, and I've shared this story before, um, but when I think of the definition of love, I always go back to this one picture in my, in my life. Um, several years ago, um, we were still in Mississippi, and Maggie was young, young, young. She, Maggie's our third daughter, and uh, Maggie was a toddler. And, and during that time in her life, and, and not anymore, I've never seen this since, but, well, no, that's true. She, maybe it's around, I don't know. But during that time in her life, she had a little blanket that she called Silky. And Silky was very important to her. Silky was her constant companion, and she carried Silky everywhere. She wouldn't go to sleep with Sil- without Silky. She wouldn't eat without Silky. Uh, I mean, there was nothing she would do in- unless Silky was right with her. And, and security blanket, that's not strong enough terms, right? Y'all, y'all know, if you, parents, you know what I'm talking about. It, it's, it's not strong enough. And uh, so... Uh, I mean, that was, that was her journey, that was her life, and, and we all knew the importance of Silky to Maggie. Well, I was getting ready to go on a trip, and I, I can't remember if it was going to Africa. I was, I, there was a trip I went to Africa. I don't remember if it was going to Africa, or maybe it was uh, uh, when uh, my great-grandmother died. I, I can't remember which one it was, but it was some journey that I was getting ready to go on, and I wasn't happy, and it, it, there was sadness in the house for some reason. And I'm packing my bags, and Maggie walks into the room. Again, just, just a, a, a toddler, um, you know, four or five, maybe three or four. She, she walked in, and she had her silky, and she lifted it up to me, and she said, Here, Daddy, I want you to take my silky. And I said, Baby, that's your silky. No, you, you keep it. She said, No, I want you to take it. It'll make you feel better. Now, that is what Christ's love is supposed to look like. And that's how we're supposed to live love out loud each day. See, some of us can't get over the fact that it's our silky. And we're not going to give it up for anything. But if we love others the way Christ has loved us, we are going to give up our silkies just to bless the other person. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and he sent Jesus to be the payment price for our sin. Beloved, if God has loved us in this way, we also ought to love one another. So here's the love challenge that that I think we must embrace. First, uh, part of the love challenge is we need to create the right climate. We need to create a climate where we will um, let love lead the way. Uh, Creating this climate means, as a church and as a follower of Christ and in our families, it means that, that we must embrace certain attitudes, These attitudes are in the passage that Jeff read earlier, Philippians chapter 2. If you look at verses 1 and 2, that's the climate. There are four if statements. 
If there's any consolation in Christ, any comfort of love, any uh, fellowship of the Spirit, any affection and mercy, those four if statements are four characteristics of the climate that we need to create. It's creating an environment where people are embraced by the very love of Christ. And it's only going to happen when we give ourselves to create this climate. The, uh, the consolation of Christ, that's, that's a picture of comfort rather than con- uh, condemnation. Are we comforting people or are we condemning people? That's comfort rather than condemnation. Uh, the, uh, 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 any consolation in Christ, any comfort of love, picture of comfort of love, that, that's, that, that's companionship, that's connection, it's, it's companionship united together in love. And so, so we, we have companionship rather than criticism. It's, it's not where I'm going around trying to find fault with you, but rather it's where I'm going around trying to express love to you. Comfort of love. Fellowship of the Spirit. It's where the Spirit of God wipes away the distinctions between us and unites us together in one bond, bond of unity. That's where we have connection, not competition. See, here's what I think. I think that most of the division that happens in, the, in, 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 in any church is because we're in competition with others. We want our way. They want their ways. And so we fight. But when love wins the day, we're going to create a climate where we're not fighting for our way. Our way. We're, we're not in competition with anybody. We're just trying to walk in the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And we live our lives yielded to the Spirit of God. The problem is some of us have, just don't yield to the Spirit of God. That's fellowship of the Spirit. That connection, not competition. And then fellowship and mercy. If there's any, any, uh, any affection and mercy, uh, that's a picture of compassion rather than calloused hearts. You, do you have compassion for people in need, people around you? Or do you just say, well, they got what they deserve? See, we're going to create a climate where love, Christ's love, dominates this community. All right? We create a climate. If we're going to create a climate, that means that we have to have this supreme attitude. Others before self. We must have this supreme attitude. Others before self. This is really tough on us because we were trained from a very early age, self before others. What I want above what you want. Some of you are sitting right here, and you're, I mean, you're a little miffed right now because you want what you want. And what I'm saying doesn't match what you want. So you get a little, you get a little ticky, right? I understand. I do. I'm not upset about it. I understand that because I get a little ticky too when I don't get what I want. But it's not about me. And friends, it's not about you. It's about us bringing glory to God, pleasure to Him, advancing the gospel. And that means that we've got to love the way Jesus loved. And you realize, of course, that Jesus put others before Himself. That that's all He did. Put others before Himself. Here, we're fighting for our way when, when, when we say we're followers of Christ. We say we're mature followers of Christ, but, but we're just fighting for what we want. But that's not how Jesus did love. That's not even how he did life. He put others before himself. 
Look at verses 3 and 4 of Philippians 2. Paul says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each one esteem others more important than himself. Underline that, please. Just take a moment. Underline that. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others more important than yourself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but the interests of others. Others before self. Again, remember how Jesus lived his life. He came to die for sinners. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Others before self. Third, we're going to love people outside our group. We will love people outside our group. So you say, well, I can... I can put others before myself because I've known them for a long time. And I can trust them with my love. But again, remember, Jesus Jesus died for those who were not part of his group. I'll get there in just a second. uh, Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 10, and the other Leviticus passage. If you go there, both those passages speak of an Old Testament principle. It says, love the stranger. Loving the stranger, anybody that's not part of the commonwealth of Israel. And God says, love the stranger. And we get here today, and there are people that are stranger and stranger and stranger and stranger. (laughs) Beginning right here. But we are called to love the stranger. We're we're to love the people that aren't part of our clan, that aren't part of the group. Again, in this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and gave his life and sent Jesus to uh, become the propitiation for our sin, the payment price for our sin. Here's what love looks like. Not that we were part of God's group and he loved us, but that we were not part of God's group and he loved us. Friends, Jesus loved those who weren't part of his group. None of us here were part of the Trinity. That was his group. But he made it his business to love us even though we were hostile toward him. That we were strangers from the covenant of promise. Even though we were aliens from the very people of God, even though we were living without God and without hope in this world, Jesus came to die for us, to show us, to lead us to God's love. And we gather here today and we look at other people and we say, boy, those are strange people and they don't deserve our love. And and I say, that is an ungodly attitude. And we look at them and we look at their lifestyle and the culture in which they live. We say, oh, those people don't belong here. Really? Friends, this place was designed, and I'm going to use an old one. This place was designed as a hospital for sinners. That's what this place is. 
Some of us are acting like it is our own special little convent or monastery. And friends, you want a convent or a monastery? Go find one. This is called a church. And we welcome sinners here just as Christ welcomed us into his presence. We've got to love the stranger. We love people who are outside this group. But that's number three. Number four is the hardest one. We love difficult people. By the way, if, if, if you're wondering if, if there are difficult people in the room, you can't think of any of the names of difficult people, Come see me. All right. Just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It's a joke. It's a joke. I'm, I'm a difficult person. Ask my wife. Ask my girls. They'll tell you. I'm difficult. It's hard. But when I say difficult, I'm talking about difficult in biblical proportions. Uh, in the Old Testament code, again, in Deuteronomy, um, uh, there is this principle that says, if you have a neighbor that hates you, and he uses the Hebrew term for hate, which is a strong term. If you have a neighbor that hates you and you see that neighbor's mule in a ditch, do not walk by, but rather stop and help the neighbor who hates you get his mule out of the ditch. Simple. Don't like it, but simple. Here's the way Jesus described it. Matthew chapter 5, begin verse 43. He said, you have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemy. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who persecute you and spitefully use you. Love your enemy. See, some of us we give, our, give ourselves all kinds of reasons why we're not loving others the way Christ has loved us. And I have to admit, it's hard to love the people that hate me. But I don't have an option. I don't have an option. We have to love those who are difficult to love. And by the way, the definition of love doesn't change just because the person doesn't like you. To love the person that doesn't like me means that I give myself sacrificially and selflessly just to bless them. After all, Jesus gave his life for sinners who were hostile toward him Scripture says we were at enmity with God, and yet Jesus died for us so that we might live. John 13, Jesus said, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another even as I have loved you. You also love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples by your love one for another. 1 John 4, 10. And this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us. And he, gave his, he, sent, and he sent his son to be the payment price for our sin. Beloved, if God has loved us in this way, we also ought to love 
one another. Today, I want you to know as a church, we will be the church that loves others the way Christ has loved us. I'm asking you to join me in embracing that challenge.